When Jesus' mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Grace, mercy, and peace be with you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ on this fourth Sunday of Advent. Amen. You may be seated. Once upon a time, there were more than a dozen different Lutheran church bodies in North America, mostly because there had been hundreds of thousands of immigrants from Denmark, Norway, Sweden, and all the different provinces of Germany who were coming to North America, each with their own languages and their own traditions. Slovaks, Germans, Scandinavians, all coming here to establish their own different Lutheran churches. Some were high church, super liturgical, lots of incense, candles, robes, and others incredibly low church. Pastors in black, no singing, very plain. Some church bodies were focused on good living, how to be a good Christian. Others were focused on good theology, how to make sure that we kept the gospel straight. But eventually, over time, all these different Lutherans became Canadian or American. And from the 1950s through the 1980s, they all came together into basically two big Lutheran churches. One that was very insistent on the Bible as God's word, and one that was insistent on showing the love of God in Christ. And then over the last two decades, it all fell apart again over the very issues that are front and center in our gospel reading for this morning, the very issues that are actually tearing our Western world apart right now in Europe and in Canada and in the United States. We've got a girl who's pregnant, out of wedlock, as we used to say, and we have the question of whether a man and woman who have been called to be together as one flesh will divorce. In short, our gospel reading for this morning, this fourth Sunday of Advent, this week before Christmas, is all about human sexuality and how we're going to handle it. This is not a new issue. It's been an issue for thousands of years. And it is the issue that seems to break up churches more than theology or any other moral questions. Now, the Lord has always been, in Scripture, very clear about his standard for our lives together and how he desires us to live. We, as the human race, were created male and female to carry in that relationship the image of a triune God, the lover, the beloved, and the love between them, as St. Augustine famously described it. Male and female, God created us to carry this image of him being himself, community, father and son and spirit. When God created Eve in the beginning, the man, Adam, the dirt creature, said, This at last is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Genesis 2. 
This is very early on in the story of Scripture. And in case you think that this is just a one-off sort of thing and that everybody sort of forgot about it, and as Christians we don't have to think about these texts anymore, Jesus himself brings it up in Matthew's Gospel. Pharisees came up to him and tested him by saying, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Jesus answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one. And then we get the famous line that we hear in many of our marriage liturgies out of Jesus' own mouth. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Paul himself quotes from Genesis 2 in his letter to the church in Ephesus. For no one, he says, has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it, cherishes it, just as Christ loves the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, Paul quotes, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That is what God intended to be this picture of the Father and the Son and the Spirit that binds them together when a man and a woman join together in marriage. But Moses gave the people an out, an exception, an escape clause, if you will. In Deuteronomy chapter 24, as Moses is preaching to the people of Israel, who are now finally about to come into the promised land, and Moses reminds them of all the things God has done for them, Moses says, well, when a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, there's the escape clause, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house and she departs out of his house, they are then divorced. Now there are implications to this. Women back then didn't work. They depended on their husband and their sons for their livelihood, for their income, for their pension. There was no social security. There was no SIN number or SSN number, no government programs you could rely on. How would this woman survive being sent out of her husband's house? Who, in the end, would look after her? And as so often happens with you and I who are sinful people, what God intends as an exception, an emergency, a notwithstanding clause became all too commonplace. I think you can all imagine how the word indecency could be twisted to mean anything. After all, our hearts are small and dark, and what God intends as the exception too often becomes the rule. So Jesus goes on in Matthew's Gospel and says, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. Now how does any of this have to do with our gospel for this morning? Especially in this lead up to Christmas. 
in two days. Well, I have to imagine that as Jesus found the Spirit speaking these words out of his mouth, he was also thinking of his adoptive father. He was thinking of Joseph and thinking of what Joseph did with his mother. How Joseph was a very rare reflection of God in this world, understanding God's justice and God's law, but loving and practicing God's mercy, wanting to wrap up God's law in his love for his betrothed. And so Matthew records that Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put Mary to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Now, what would be the grounds for divorce? Well, being pregnant by someone else would probably qualify as indecency in the usual stream of things. And Mary was Joseph's betrothed. Now, you have to imagine that back in the day, and I know being Quebecers, this is hard to wrap your brain around, people got married first, and then a year later lived together. Okay, I'm using that silence thing we talked about in Bible study. you got to process this. You mean you married and then lived together? We were completely the opposite, right? We lived together for a year, five years, 10 years, 20 years. Maybe if we feel like it, we get around to it and we get married. But back 2,000 years ago, in a good Jewish community, it was not so. It was actually quite the opposite. And so Joseph, finding that his wife, his betrothed, who he's not living with yet because the year hasn't passed, is pregnant, simply makes the natural assumption that the baby is not his. And therefore, the law called for divorce. But here's the problem. If Joseph divorced her publicly, there were going to be even worse consequences than Mary simply not having an income or someone to look after her. Because Deuteronomy doesn't just have laws about divorce. It had laws to handle infidelity. Moses said, if there is a betrothed virgin and a man meets her in the city and lies with her, then you shall bring them both out to the gate of that city and you shall stone them to death with stones. Not sure what else you would stone them to death with, but Hebrew works that way. The young woman, because she did not cry for help, though she was in the city, and the man, because he violated his neighbor's wife, so you shall purge the evil from your midst. This, too, is going through Joseph's mind. He loves Mary, and he knows the law. And he is trying to find a way, because he is a just man, to do what the law requires, but spare Mary's and the baby's life. He does not want to see her and that child stoned. Hence, he resolves to divorce her quietly. And instead of Mary bearing the shame, because this is where Joseph's mind is right now, he is thinking like you and I would think, no angels yet, No dreams, no special appearances from God. 
what we would do in this situation. He finds a way to save Mary from the shame that will come upon her and take the shame on himself. Did you hear? Mary got pregnant. It wasn't Joseph's. And he didn't call for her to be stoned. What kind of guy would do that? Now he's got to bear the shame in the community of having had a wife who got pregnant, who is still walking around very much alive, and here he is the one who's divorced her. Joseph preserves the law, but clothes it in mercy and love. Do you see a pattern here? Do you see an adoptive father foreshadowing what his adoptive son will do, not just for a woman who finds herself pregnant out of wedlock, but for an entire world that ought to bear the shame of its sin. That this son of Joseph's will find a way not just to save a mother from stoning, but an entire world of sinful people from eternal death. We live, of course, in a society for whom this entire discussion is hard to grasp, as I've already pointed out. Quebec has one of the lowest marriage rates in the world. We don't do marriage. Divorce, therefore, doesn't need to happen because we never make a commitment in the first place. Women give birth out of wedlock all the time. And even more, women have the option of simply killing the baby before it's born if they so desire. And churches, as I said at the very beginning of the sermon, are divided on whether this is okay with God, that would not be us, or not okay, as we would say here, du tout, du tout, which would be us. Because you see, if it's all okay with God, if marriage doesn't matter, if pregnancy doesn't matter, if children don't matter, then Jesus died for nothing. It was a terrible mistake. It was an accident. It was unfortunate, but it meant nothing. That Christ, who was born of the Virgin Mary, whose nativity we will celebrate in two days, died on the cross, was for nothing. Because you see, it was Jesus' stance on divorce and the role of women and the protection of little children that was partially what got him killed. How often could you, as an upstanding, well-respected man in the community, hear this man say that you need to become like a little child before eventually you want to see him crucified? How often could you listen to this man protect and defend women and stand up for them and say they deserve equal standing before God as men before eventually you want to see him killed? God's justice still stands. Male and female, he created us. Every life in the womb or out of the womb is precious because it is redeemable. Because God died for each and every one of those lives. Baby in the womb or out of the womb. Old person in the nursing home, old person at home. Person anywhere in between. 
Treating marriage and children and family as disposable comes with consequences. Unstable societies, the need for governments to become parents, children raised without the stable love of a mom and a dad, rarely turn out well. But God's mercy also stands. Our God is a God of love. And that is actually the more important part. That God sends his one and only son into our flesh, into that womb of Mary to grow as any other child does up to birth in order to redeem every fallen husband, every fallen wife, every fallen child. That is why we celebrate Christmas. It's not just a cute festival of a baby that was laid in a bunch of hay. It was God saying that he will be God with us, among us, as one of us, in order to save each and every one of us. And Joseph was just a small picture of who his son would be, his adoptive son, not desiring that the shame of our sin would fall on us, but quietly taking it into himself at the cross and bearing the shame himself. God clothed his justice, his law, his righteousness in the flesh of a baby in Mary's womb, and at Christmas, we see how he will quietly wrap up his justice in mercy and in grace. Preserving sexual morality, the integrity of marriage, and the value of life is important. But proclaiming the good news of Christ's mercy is the real reason for Christmas. We know what the bar is, and we know where we've fallen short, and we know who has saved us from our sin. I might share with you just one last story about a man named Paul. Not the Paul you know of, though. This is Paul from Samosata. And he was a pastor in Antioch, one of the first Gentile cities in which the church was established. He was a pastor back in the mid-200s, so about 150 years after Jesus, after that first real Christmas. And he was, in many ways, the first of the great televangelists if you think of all the terrible things that we associate with televangelists. He raised tons of money by being an eloquent preacher, received vast sums of donations from wealthy parishioners, which he turned around and spent on a lavish lifestyle. If there had been Rolls Royces and Bentleys around to purchase, he would have had at least a few of each. And worst of all, he was accused of multiple sexual indiscretions. Orgies at the parsonage, if you will. He was the absolute worst caricature of a Christian leader. And he was, praise be to God, eventually removed from his office. No longer able to serve as a pastor. But not for all of those things. They weren't the reason why other pastors finally descended upon Antioch and had him removed. He was removed because he preached a Jesus who was a guide infilled by the Spirit, but not the Redeemer of the world and not the Son of God and its Savior. 
Maintaining God's law in the church turned out to be less important than ensuring that the good news was preserved and faithfully proclaimed. Yes, he had a real immoral lifestyle. And yes, he abused his wealthy parishioners. And yes, he was not a good spender of money. But the worst thing of all was that he did not proclaim from his pulpit a Jesus who came to save sinners. Husbands broken in their relationship with their wives. Parents in broken relationships with children. And so that's why he was removed. Those of us who truly want to follow Christ need to reflect on the pattern of Joseph who wanted to maintain the Lord's justice but knew it to to be true to God. He had to clothe it in mercy. And that's why Joseph was the particular chosen man to be the adopted father for Jesus whose name means the Lord saves and who would be Emmanuel, God with us who did not come to divorce us from God's presence, but to save us from our sins. In the name of Jesus Christ.